This has basically been used as a veneer to impose an ideological agenda, uh, and that is wrong. Yes. Finally, I agree with Ron DeSantis on something. Stop using your ideological agenda, Ron. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Yep, hey there From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, and yes, that is the way you say it. Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet. So the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me and everyone else I know from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Good good day, Desiree Doyen. Good day to you, too. You know, people continue to call you Debbie uh, whenever <laughs> they write in to well, me for some reason. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's an easier name to remember, that's for sure. True enough, Debbie. All right. <laughs> uh, voters were at the polls on Tuesday in Kentucky and Pennsylvania and Florida for some important state and municipal and special elections. Of note, in Kentucky, an ugly battle for the uh, Republican gubernatorial nomination to take on popular Democratic incumbent governor in Kentucky, Andy Bashir, this November, with about a dozen GOPers battling it out, the contest between dark money-funded, Trump-endorsed Mitch McConnell protege Daniel Cameron, he's the state's black attorney general, uh, and Kelly Kraft, a GOP mega donor. If her name sounds familiar, it's because she served as Trump's last U.N. ambassador. She's married to a coal baron. Uh, so Kraft and Cameron are believed to be the uh, two front runners who have been duking it out in the final days of the campaign after Kraft dumped more than nine million dollars of her own money into the race ahead of the primary. Must be nice. Also, Philadelphia is holding its mayoral primary election, which is essentially will choose the city's next mayor, given that whoever wins on the Democratic side will almost certainly win the job this fall in 
uh, liberal Philadelphia, not unlike the recent mayoral race in Chicago. Progressives such as New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Vermont's Bernie Sanders, they have come in with endorsements in the race. They're hoping to pull off another progressive win like the one in uh, Chicago, like the surprise victory that we saw there recently for Brandon Johnson uh, in his mayoral race in Chicago. Uh, with nine people seeking the Democratic nod in Philadelphia, including progressives' uh, choice, Helen Jim, a uh, former council member calling for a Green New Deal for local schools. You may want to check that one out. Yeah, uh, I like that idea. Okay. (laughs) Uh, That uh, race is said to be uh, truly up for grabs, however, so we'll see. Jim is facing a number of more conservative, traditional Democrats in Philadelphia with three women Leading the polls, however, Philadelphia is likely to elect its first female mayor this year, one way or the other. I like that idea, too. After, by the way, 99 men in a row. Literally in in Philly. There's a special election in the Pennsylvania State House uh, that has the partisan majority in that body up for grabs yet again after a Democrat was forced to resign in a sex scandal. Republicans still control the state Senate, and Democrats are concerned that if Republicans take over the House as well, they may try and outlaw abortion in the state with a constitutional amendment somehow working around the state's Democratic governor. And a, uh, a state judge who ruled against in Pennsylvania, who ruled against certifying the results of the 2020 presidential election, is running for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, in a primary as national Republicans are trying to make sure that she does not win, does not get past the primary. Also down in Jacksonville, Florida, the state's most populous and most politically competitive city, Republicans are defending their largest mayorality anywhere in the country. As Democrats are trying to prove that a battleground area in otherwise red trending Florida is somehow swinging the way of Democrats. We will see other than some severe weather in parts of Kentucky on Tuesday, including an afternoon tornado warning for several Kentucky counties. Uh, other than that, I have yet to hear of any problems for voters on uh, on Tuesday, even if we often, as you know, only hear of them much later after polls have closed in the days and weeks, sometimes even months following Election Day. We will, of course, have noteworthy results on our next broadcast. In election-related news elsewhere, however, this week, in in this case, 2024-related election news, and at this point, perhaps even 2024 Dirty Tricks-related election news. Gosh, I thought we could wait just a little bit longer before the 2024 Dirty Tricks started. Well, think again. Actually, you be the judge here, whether this is a dirty trick or not. I don't know. I just want you to know about it because uh, this may be happening all over the country. According to Portland, Maine's Press Herald, Maine's Secretary of State has formerly warned a national organization that is trying to form a new political party in all 50 states against mischaracterizing its intention to prospective voters. So, yes, this is actually something to watch out for in all 50 states, even though this story uh, comes out of Maine. 
Secretary of State Shenna Bellows sent a cease and desist letter last week to the director of ballot access for the group calling itself No Labels, expressing concerns that their efforts have confused voters who think they are merely signing a petition, but in fact are actually enrolling in this new dubious political party. Quote, over the past few months, municipal clerks have received reports from numerous Maine voters who did not realize that they had been enrolled in the No Labels Party, according to Bellows. These voters have provided similar accounts of how they came to be enrolled in the party, that they were approached by No Labels Party organizers in public places and asked to sign a, quote, petition to support the new party. These voters have further stated that no labels organizers did not disclose and the voters did not understand that no labels was actually asking them to change their party enrollment by signing these uh, this document. In other words, if I understand correctly, mm-hmm. changing their voter registration yep. to the no labels party. Yep. And they don't even know that that's happening. And that's the, something that I know we have seen Republican Party operatives do in several states where they yeah. change people's voter registration without telling them. Well, they tell them, will you sign this petition outside a grocery store? We sign this petition is to save uh, children uh, <laughs> fighting cancer, right. For, right? And then you find out uh, later somehow your party... Uh, registration got changed. And sometimes you don't find out until you show up to the primary and you're not allowed to vote in that primary because somebody changed your party affiliation. Ding, ding, ding. The uh, Secretary of State up in Maine, uh, Bellows, uh, her office also sent letters to more than 6,000 voters who have signed up with the No Labels Party since the effort was authorized in late December. So they were authorized to sign people up for the party, but they were not authorized to mislead them if, in fact, they did. The letter to these voters makes clear that if they did not, in, if, if they did intend to enroll in No Labels, Uh, Well, no action is required, but it also says that if voters did not intend to enroll in that new party, they need to contact their municipal office to fill out a new voter registration card. In a statement provided to the Press Herald, no labels, said it was confident that its organizers were completely above board. Quote, Every no-labels organizer in Maine was given crystal clear instructions that they were asking citizens to change their party affiliation, the statement reads. We take no issue with the Secretary of State notifying these signers that they are now members of the no-labels party in Maine. We have total confidence in our transparent engagement with Maine voters. The uh, group, No Labels, was founded way back in 2010 by Nancy Jacobson, a longtime Democratic fundraiser. It has been supported over the years by former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who began as a Republican. He ended up as a conservative Democrat. Uh, Former U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman of Connecticut. He began as a conservative Democrat. He ended up, if I recall, as an independent And uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, a moderate Republican, uh, among others, have been uh, supporters at various times of this group. More recently, however, the reporting by the Daily Beast and the New Republic relying on leaked internal documents found that big name Republican donors like David Koch, like Peter Thiel, like Harlan Crow, 
a name that's been in the news lately as a guy who has given hundreds of thousands of dollars in gifts and, and everything else to Justice Supreme, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Those guys, Coke, Teal, Crow, are among those who have given money to no labels, furthering the idea that, as the Press Herald writes, its motivations might not be altruistic. The group has long claimed that, uh, you know, they are no labels is is for those who don't wish to call themselves either Republicans or Democrats. They're, you know, they're the moderate, sensible group in the middle. They're just interested in setting partisanship aside in favor of cooperation and the fiscal health of the nation. Others, of course, are concerned that they're hoping to siphon away support from Democrats in elections Bingo. and the uh, financial support of, of Coke and Teal and Crow as reported would certainly underscore that aspect of who these people are uh, and what this group is actually up to as they hope now apparently to get on the ballot in all 50 states in advance of the 2024 presidential election for some reason. Who is their candidate? Don't know. They just want to get on the ballot for now. As the Press Herald notes, although the group has not gotten widespread traction electorally, it has influenced so-called moderate lawmakers in both parties. They were heavily involved in lobbying Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, for example, to oppose efforts to end the filibuster back in 2021. They have co-sponsored, they have sponsored the so-called Problem Solvers Caucus in Congress. That's made up of more than 40 so-called moderate members from both parties, including Manchin and Sinema. The paper notes that Maine's Republican Senator Susan Collins has also been an honorary co-chair of No Labels since 2017, but is said to have no involvement with its effort to promote a third-party presidential candidate. The group has also been working to organize in all 50 states to have a third-party candidate on the ballot in the 2024 election. No one has been named, but Democrats are concerned that a third-party candidate would be a threat to President Biden's re-election bid and would only serve to help the Republican candidate, whoever that might be. They have uh, been successful in establishing an official party, however, in Oregon, Colorado, Arizona, though the Democratic Party in Arizona has now sued the Secretary of State's office uh, out there to stop no labels from getting on the ballot next year. Meanwhile, back in Maine, a new political party just needs 5,000 registered voters to earn standing as an official party. And now more than 6,000 at this point have signed on through this effort, according to the Secretary of State's office. That number could decrease in the weeks ahead if uh, if it turns out that many were actually confused about what they were signing. Yeah. Get this letter from the Secretary of State and decide they want out. Some main clerks, in fact, have confirmed that they have heard from confused voters about all of this. Maine's uh, Democratic secretary said, quote, in an era of disinformation and malinformation, our job is to make sure people have access to facts. Well, that's my job, too. Uh, quote, we want voters to know their rights, and that includes their First Amendment right to create a new party like no labels, she said. But in the process of doing so, 
we need to make sure everyone is playing by the rules. Yes, so by all means, no matter what state you're in, make sure you read those petitions very Care- carefully yes, before closely. signing. Yep, there's your heads up uh, because, it, well, th- this group is likely coming to a state near you if they have not already. And by the way, if you want to join them, please do. Just make sure that you know what you are doing when you're asked to sign one of their petitions outside the grocery store. Yeah, and report it if someone is telling you stuff that isn't true, especially when it comes to those petition signing So, you know, reading this story, I'm like, uh, boy, you know, why do I have a feeling that 2024 is going to get really, really ugly? If only because, what are we, May of 23 at this point, and we're already beginning to see the emergence of this. Yep. All right. Uh, speaking of really ugly, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yeah, and I frankly, I do not even want to cover this story because it is so ugly. But it actually includes a few very important points above and beyond just the prurient ugliness, if that's the way to describe it. I will try to keep it uh, to no more than a P- PG-13 level here. Thank you. Apologies in advance. The The ongoing bad news for Rudy Giuliani, once uh, incredibly enough, considered to be America's mayor. Remember that? That after, was a long time ago. After 9-11. He was even named Times, Time Magazine's Person of the Year back in 2001. Well, uh, the bad news for him got uh, seemingly considerably worse on Monday, though in a way that I got to say I find to be for some reason perhaps the least surprising news that we are likely to cover all week. A former associate of Rudy Giuliani is suing him for sexual assault, accusing Trump's Donald Trump's former personal lawyer of hiring her to fulfill his desire for sexual relationship. In a civil complaint filed on Monday and seeking at least $10 million, Noelle Dunphy said that uh, Giuliani began abusing her almost immediately after hiring her as an off-the-books employee in January 2019. Off-the-books, which would not be lawful. She said Giuliani made clear that satisfying his sexual demands was a, quote, absolute requirement, unquote, of the job. Dunphy offered many details in support of her allegation in a 70-page complaint. As noted, I will spare you the most salacious details, and trust me, you are welcome. Because, yeah, the details really are really Really disgusting. Yeah, there's a huge ick factor. So just the suit was be aware. The suit, if you go to read it, yes, yeah. uh, the suit was filed against Giuliani and three of his namesake companies in a New York State court in Manhattan. A spokesman for Giuliani, though not Giuliani himself, for whatever that may be worth, said the uh, former New York City mayor quote unequivocally denies the allegations raised by Ms. Dunphy. According to Monday's complaint, Giuliani forced Dunphy to perform sex throughout their relationship, including at times when she was neither physically nor emotionally in shape to consent. Dunphy said Giuliani promised to pay her $1 million a year and represent her for free in separate legal matters concerning domestic abuse, but said that he had to defer her pay until he settled his, quote, acrimonious divorce from his third wife. 
Now, uh, don't worry. I'm getting to the reason why I'm actually covering it. It's not because, uh, well, anyway, stick with me here. <laughs> uh, quote from the uh, from the lawsuit. Uh, she was continually subjected by Giuliani to a hostile work environment, misogynistic, racist and anti-Semitic communications, constant sexual attacks, threats when she brought up the salary that she was owed and threats when she finally found the courage to confront him with her fears and the possibility of legal action. The lawsuit alleges Giuliani claimed that his, quote, crazy ex-wife and her lawyers were watching his cash flow and that his ex-wife would attack and retaliate against any female employee that Giuliani hired. Dunphy also said that Giuliani went on, quote, alcoholic drenched rants with that included sexist, racist, anti-Semitic marks that made her work environment unbearable. And then he fired her in January of 2021 without paying her deferred salary. Giuliani ultimately only ever paid her $12,000. Now, was that money actually reported by Giuliani? This says it's an, it was an off-the-books job. Uh, that may be the first, just the first, of several criminal aspects of this lawsuit that law enforcement officials well, I want to say are likely to take note of, or uh, perhaps I should say, I hope they take note of. Business Insider describes the suit as a bombshell. The complaint features a... St- Again, I'm skipping all the, uh, the all worst the gross part. Stuff. You're welcome. <laughs> but did you see the movie Borat, subsequent movie film, the mm-hmm. uh, sequel to the first Borat film? Well, the uh, complaint uh, features a still image from that film in which Giuliani can be seen lying on a bed with his hand down the front of his pants. And if you saw the film, I suspect you remember that that scene. You probably remember that shot. The uh, film, according to the lawsuit, uh, portrayed, quote, Giuliani acting in a similar manner to how he acted with Ms. Dunphy. But here's why uh, here's where things go from salacious and disgusting to criminal and disgusting, perhaps Uh, big time, bigly. The lawsuit also alleges that Giuliani told her, told Dunphy, according to the suit, that he and Donald Trump, quote, would split the fee. uh, As they were, quote, selling pardons for two million dollars a pop. Giuliani asked Dunphy for help, asking if she knew anyone in need of a pardon. They were selling them for $2 million a pop. uh, And Trump, quote, would split the fee. Okay, then. That seems sort of serious. That seems criminal. Uh, So I suspect, or at least I hope, again, that the Department of Justice has noticed this lawsuit. Donald Trump is out there selling, well, uh, let me back up. Rudy Giuliani is out there claiming that he and Donald Trump are selling pardons. And let me back up even further. This woman, Dunphy, claims that Giuliani claims that he and Donald Trump are selling pardons for $2 million. Now, there was a whole bunch of pardons at the end of Donald Trump's term. 
uh, hundreds, as I recall. Um, I, I I don't ha- I haven't looked it up, but I'm thinking uh, more than any other president in history, and. There was not really an investigation. Remember that there was like one pardon that Bill Clinton made uh, near the end of his term that Republicans were just furious oh, about. They lost they spent their minds. Yes. Years uh, investigating it, and there were scores, hundreds of such pardons, basically to friends of Donald Trump, friends of the Republican Party, that he did on his way out the door. And as far as I know. To the uh, shame, frankly, of Democrats, there has not been any real investigation in Congress of all of those pardons. In any event, uh, I do hope this uh, has taken the uh, attention of the uh, Department of Justice at this point, this lawsuit, above and beyond the prurient details, obviously. Uh, In the end here, Dunphy accuses Giuliani of sexual assault, battery, gender discrimination, harassment, fostering a hostile work environment, retaliation, breach of contract, and violations of state labor laws. And for some reason, absolutely none of those seems far-fetched to me. Dunphy's lawyer, Justin Kelton, told Insider in a statement, quote, Ms. Dunphy's lawsuit is about seeking justice and showing again that nobody in this country is above the law. We are proud to support Ms. Dunphy in her brave pursuit of this matter. And uh, with all of that in mind, particularly the allegations regarding selling presidential pardons, uh, I will note that Dunphy also claims in her lawsuit to have made numerous audio recordings of Rudy Giuliani. Oh, Lordy, there may be tapes. Yes, including some in which she says he can be heard making sexual comments, demanding sex, making sexist, racist, and anti-Semitic remarks. I suspect we will at some point hear all of those uh, (laughs) those audio uh, tapes in some form or another because I'm not sure that Rudy Giuliani, unlike Donald Trump, I'm not sure that Rudy Giuliani has... Uh, really any money to try and settle with uh, with someone like uh, like Dunphy here. Does she have similar audio evidence documenting her claims about selling pardons, presidential pardons? We shall see, I suspect. So anyway, sorry to have to share that story <laughs> with you at all. Uh, but as noted, I think there may end up being much more here than simply uh, sexual assault allegations against one of the two, perhaps, most disgraced men in America at this point. All right, let's take a quick break uh, so we can all take a shower and come <laughs> back with uh, something else. I don't know. Oh, and our latest Green News report. That, at least, is is that that's less disgusting, right? Uh, yes, definitely. All right. See? You won't need a shower after the GNR. See, it's filled with nothing but bad news, <laughs> but it's better than where we came from. So you're welcome. All right. Just stay tuned. With my apologies, this is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, crazy, but but also possibly disturbingly dangerous. You know, I got to wonder, I mentioned at the top of the show that there uh, there's an election in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, uh, for mayor on, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, right. That... There's a, a, a Republican mayor there uh, who is termed out. So now that seat is up for grabs. But I got to wonder, um, you know, will we finally see, begin to see some pushback in Florida against Ron DeSantis in an election like the one in Jacksonville? Remember, DeSantis is one of the few GOPers who supposedly did really, really well last year. Uh, in the November midterms in 2022, when Republicans across the country did not do well. Uh, DeSantis won by a huge margin, reportedly, in a state that does a terrible job of allowing the public to oversee its elections. And no uh, does also a terrible job yeah. of allowing the public to vote in the first place, especially well, if true. they're from yeah. black and brown communities. Right. So there was really no investigation of that at all. Uh, presume he won. I have no evidence that he did not. But I got to say, his numbers were really, really large in a year there where uh, no other Republicans, even ones who won, did not have numbers that large. Anyway, just tossing that out there again. Now, uh, because I want to talk about Ron DeSantis, I got to tell you, if a Democratic governor was doing stuff like Ron DeSantis is doing, instituting one big government mandate restriction ban after another, like the stuff that Florida's DeSantis is doing right now. Uh, frankly, there would be an endless around the clock campaign of absolute, you know, outrage from Republicans about it. If any Democratic governor behaved like this, was signing bills like this, was restricting and banning things like this, folks on the right would be so pretend outraged about it that there would be demands for a recall election. There would be right wing militia groups planning to kidnap that governor <laughs> and everything else. So uh, anyway, uh, to start with uh, just the latest when it comes to DeSantis this week, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill into law on Monday, essentially banning uh, banning state public colleges from hiring who they want to hire for whatever reason that they may wish to want to hire them. DeSantis signed a law on Monday that bans the state's public colleges and universities from spending money, in this case, on diversity, equity and inclusion programs. Well, that sounds terrible. And you thought diverse, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion was a good thing, right? Oh, that is just so 2022. <laughs> this has basically been used as a veneer to impose an ideological agenda. Uh, and that is wrong. And in fact, if you look at the way this has actually been implemented across the country, uh, DEI is, is better um, viewed as standing for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. And that has no place in our public institutions. So uh, what he, so you see what he just did there? Now, DEI actually stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And DeSantis has just decided to make up three other words <laughs> that start with D and E and I, discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. 
and say that that is, you know, the, the same thing, that one thing is the same as the other, and then he signs a law to ban it, which is a pretty neat trick. Just find something that your political opponents do that you don't like, claim it is actually something else entirely, and then ban the original thing that's actually being done. Very clever. Uh, but grotesque and almost certainly in violation of the U.S. Constitution. Remember when Republicans used to care about that sort of thing? Many institutions across the U.S. have DEI offices aimed at diversifying staff and promoting inclusivity for faculty and students. The location of the uh, bill signing on Monday, NPR notes, is notable in that DeSantis, uh, this was at New College in Florida, DeSantis has targeted New College to turn the liberal state institution, liberal arts institution, into a right-wing state institution where right-wingers, I guess, can be groomed as he would like them to be groomed, I guess. Uh, not that anyone is being groomed anywhere, but that's what Republicans like to pretend that liberals are doing. Therefore, they're going to do it instead I guess. Yeah, that's their BS rhetoric. Earlier uh, this year, DeSantis appointed six new members to the school school's board of trustees, putting right wing allies of his in control of the school board. He's accused the school's leadership of overemphasizing DEI, along with critical race theory, which they call CRT and gender ideology, which uh, he characterized as not, quote, what a liberal arts education should be. DeSantis said on Monday that he's viewed DEI initiatives as a discriminatory practice. <laughs> so inclusion is discrimination. It's that good old doublespeak, remember? War is peace. Up is down. Black is white, etc. We have always been at war with Eurasia or something like that. The new law also bans what can be taught in the state's higher education institutions. General education courses cannot, quote, distort significant historical events or include a curriculum that teaches identity politics. Whatever he thinks identity politics actually is. Uh, nor uh, can it teach critical race theory, whatever he thinks that means. Again, you can imagine if any Democratic governor took this kind of big government stance, this big government control over, you know, the state educational institutions to force them to teach and or to ban them from teaching any variety of things based on uh, his or her own political ideology. If it was a Democrat, it's 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 kind of unthinkable, frankly, that that would actually ever happen, despite the fact that Republicans like to pretend it happens. But here we are. We have a Republican doing it, doing exactly that same thing, ignoring the First Amendment in the process and claiming that Florida is for those who love freedom. What? Irene uh, Mulvey, the president of the American Association of University Professors, uh, said when you see elected leaders demonizing educators and weaponizing education, it is a five alarm fire for democracy. She says it's important to understand that when governors attack DEI efforts, they completely mischaracterize them 
to create a straw man demon that they now have to do away with. The effort, of course, is uh, part of DeSantis's 2024 presidential campaign strategy to crack down on what he calls, quote, woke indoctrination in schools. Again, whatever that means. In the last two years, DeSantis has banned teachers in K through 12 from discussing sexuality and gender and his state education officials have rejected and banned dozens of math books math textbooks and social studies textbooks and if you are wondering where all of this is going well you don't really have to wonder anymore although i sure wish more people were talking about this florida's state education department has now rejected two new Holocaust-focused textbooks for classroom use while forcing at least one other textbook to alter a passage about the Torah or the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible, as the Jewish Telegraphic Agency reports it, in order to meet state approval. The books were rejected as part of a review of new K-12 social studies materials, According to documents provided by the state, the Education Department did not approve any new texts on the Holocaust this year. Following publication of this article, JTA reports, uh, the Education Department's Director of Communications in Florida told the Jewish Telegraphic Agency that the state has, quote, many textbooks and other approved instructional materials that support our efforts to make sure our students never forget about the horrific annihilation of Jews by Nazi Germany. What about the burning of books by Nazi Germany? Do they hope that uh, that's something that we'll never forget? Under DeSantis, JTA notes, the state has made an effort to clamp down on what he calls woke indoctrination, mostly regarding race and gender. The textbook's rejection, however, is the latest example of how that drive is affecting Jewish topics as well. And I'm reminded, didn't Ron DeSantis just get back from a visit to Israel at the end of last month? He did. Anyway, one of the years, uh, one of this year's rejected Holocaust textbooks was called Modern Genocides. And the other was an online learning course titled History of the Holocaust. Sounds terrible. Both were intended for high school students. Modern Genocides was rejected in part for its discussion of, quote, special topics prohibited by the state. So the state is prohibiting special topics. The list of such topics includes terms such as social justice and critical race theory, hmm. a phrase that traditionally concerns a method of legal analysis, but that Republicans have used pejoratively to refer to discussion of systemic racism in the U.S. The department did not clear which prohibited special topics that the book Modern Genocides included. The company, which publishes History of the Holocaust, told JTA it had spoken with the Florida Department of Education and would appeal the state's rejection of its contest, uh, content. Meanwhile, another social studies textbook intended for grades 6 through 8 was forced by the department to 
alter a reference to the Hebrew Bible in order to meet state standards. According to state documents, the book's original version included a question for students reading, quote, what social justice issues are included in the Hebrew Bible? That had to be changed. That was altered to an approved version to replace it, uh, to replace the phrase social justice issues with the term key principles. What key principles are included in the Hebrew Bible mm. instead of what social justice issues? So now, apparently, even using the phrase social justice is, uh, pardon the irony here, verboten in the state of Florida. The state's rationale for the change was that the original phrasing used, quote, politically charged language when referencing the Hebrew Bible. So referencing social justice issues is now verboten, but key principles, that's just fine. At least until Republicans in Florida decide that key principles is a straw man demon that they must also strike down, just like they have with the words social justice. Does the First Amendment even apply in the uh, Sunshine State at all anymore? Do they even have that? Do, do they have the U.S. Constitution down there? DeSantis has also enabled parents to effectively remove Holocaust literature that they don't like from school libraries. A law passed last year allows parents to challenge instructional materials and books in public school libraries, and parents in the state have filed challenges that have led to the temporary or permanent removal of Holocaust literature on the grounds that they're inappropriate for children. Manny Diaz, Jr., Florida's Education Commissioner, said in a press release, quote, to uphold our exceptional standards, we must ensure our students and teachers have the highest quality materials available. Materials that focus on historical facts and are free from inaccuracies or ideological rhetoric. The state's Education Department announced on Tuesday that it had approved 66 out of 101 submissions of new social studies textbooks under its new rubric, some only after the publishers agreed to extensive changes to the text. Mandated by the government. Mandated by the big government. Boy, is Ron DeSantis lucky he's not a Democrat. The state rejected the other, rejected the other 35 textbooks that were submitted. Florida, thanks to its large population of school-aged children, is one of the biggest textbook markets in the nation. And some social studies textbooks publishers uh, this year preemptively erased some language about race and segregation in their books in order to gain entry into the market. So they pre-censored themselves. They absolutely did. Two points on that. One, uh, because it's uh, such a large market and they want to get into that market, they're willing to make the changes to get into the state of Florida, which means some of those changes, therefore, will be in the textbooks that are sold in all 50 states, thanks to whatever is on the you know campaign mind of Ron DeSantis in Florida. Your school children in other states are likely to suffer. And yes, they are preemptively censoring themselves. That's known as the uh, chilling of free speech, where institutions self-censor 
in order to meet the censorship that they expect to come from the big government. That has not ended well in the past, ironically enough. Go study what happened with book burning during the Holocaust, though apparently you may not be able to study that in Florida. And bringing this to uh, my attention over on Mastodon over the weekend, where you can find me at the Brad blog at jorna.host. And bringing it to my attention, uh, human rights lawyer Kasim Rashid noted this is what modern day fascism looks like. Adding, remember, the main reason that extremists would want to ban teaching about a past atrocity is to make it easier to enable that atrocity in the future. Okay, then. Uh, One more. And, you know, I I think I've got to go back, Des, about uh, two weeks at this point to find a story that doesn't creep me out today. (laughs) Sorry about that. This is one that I've been trying to get to for about two weeks. It's I don't think it's creepy. It's a little creepy, but it's less creepy. And it's actually uh, somewhat encouraging. Uh, Wisconsin's still conservative controlled uh, Supreme Court. You may recall that liberals have now been elected to take over the majority there, but that does not happen until the beginning of August. So it's still conservative controlled Supreme Court recently ruled that a hospital could not be forced to give a deworming drug to a patient with COVID-19, saying that a county judge did not cite any legal basis for ordering the facility to administer ivermectin. There's a blast from the past, right? Because a few days ago, we were told that COVID is over. We don't have to worry about COVID at all, apparently, anymore. COVID, by the way, is not over, but the uh, federal emergency is. Nonetheless, uh, I digress. Ivermectin, <laughs> as you'll recall, became popular among duped right-wingers after MAGA commentators on TV and some far right, even some far right uh, quack doctors held up the anti-parasitic drug as a miracle cure for coronavirus. But the FDA has not approved it for use in treating COVID-19 and warns warns that misusing ivermectin can even be harmful or fatal. The Wisconsin lawsuit is one of dozens that have been filed across the country seeking to force hospitals to administer ivermectin for COVID-19 because I guess, you know, someone saw it on Fox News or something. Yep. Or any other right wing media that is peddling this nonsense. The drug is commonly used in cattle and it is approved for human use to fight parasites and certain skin conditions, but not to fight COVID in the again uh, decision, the ruling by the still conservative majority Wisconsin Supreme Court. The high court ruled six to one in favor of Aurora Healthcare, with uh, three liberals and three conservatives in support. Only far-right-wing Scott Walker-appointed Justice Rebecca Bradley dissented. The decision upholds an appeals court ruling against Alan Gall, who had sued Aurora in October of 2021 when doctors refused to treat his uncle, With ivermectin, Gall was authorized to make decisions for the man and had researched the drug online (laughs) after his uncle was put on a ventilator uh, to treat uh, COVID-19 complications. Gall obtained a prescription for ivermectin from a retired doctor who had never met his uncle or his medical team. But hospital staff said that the drug did not meet their standards and they refused to administer it. 
So this guy filed a lawsuit. None of the information in the complaint that Gall subsequently filed against the hospital came directly from medical professionals, according to the court. The Waukesha County Circuit Court had ordered originally hospital staff to give uh, his uncle this drug. An appeals court overturned that decision after Aurora's attorneys argued the judge could not force a medical provider to give treatment that they had determined to be substandard. Quote, we do not know what viable legal claim the circuit court thought Gall had presented, said Justice Ann Walsh Bradley uh, in the court's opinion. So at least some sanity prevails in the Republican-controlled Wisconsin State Supreme Court for just a little bit. Can you believe it? Amazing. Uh, Gall was uh, represented, by the way, by the Amos Center for Justice. That is a right-wing Wisconsin law firm that has brought litigation against things like ballot drop boxes and promotes conspiracy theories about the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. Basically a law firm that promotes baseless conspiracy theories. So the Wisconsin Supreme Court is not insane, at least on this ruling, uh, even before uh, August 1, when the uh, uh, there will be a liberal majority once again on that court for the first time in 15 years. Quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyen right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. is indeed melting, isn't it? Welcome back. It's the Brad Cast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, but at least uh, none of the stories in your GNR today will, will creep us out, <laughs> right? They may trouble us, but they're not disgusting and, and gross. Exactly. Like no the ick, bulk of this show. No ick factor here. We'll see. Uh, let's get to it. Our latest green news report. Hundreds of thousands left their homes. Evacuations accredited for saving lives as the extreme weather continues to disrupt them. Powerful cyclone Mocha causes widespread destruction in Myanmar. It'll cost $30 billion to clean up abandoned oil and gas wells in the Gulf of Mexico alone. Plus... We make a major step forward in the climate crisis protecting public health. Biden EPA unveils new rules to clean up carbon pollution from the nation's power plants. All of those new rules and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. All across the country, you are sounding the alarm, demanding action, and sparking a global movement to address the urgency of the climate crisis. Thank you for noticing, EPA Administrator Michael Regan. You're doing a good job, too. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, big news here in the U.S. 
when it comes to power plants, but yeah, still big, bad climate problems across the globe. Yes, indeed. Tropical cyclone Mocha struck Myanmar and Bangladesh on Sunday, just shy of a Category 5 storm, killing six and injuring hundreds. Aid workers are struggling to reach areas devastated by widespread flooding and landslides, with electricity and communications cut off. Hundreds of Rohingya refugee shelters were destroyed. Cyclone Mocha is the latest storm to intensify rapidly right before landfall due to unusually warm ocean waters. Scientists say rapid intensification of storms has become more common worldwide, Mm. increasing in both frequency and magnitude due to man-made global warming. Yeah, we're seeing a whole lot of that year after year after year now. April 2023 was the fourth hottest April ever recorded globally since record-keeping began in the mid-1800s. That's according to NASA and NOAA. In the southern hemisphere, April was the warmest month of any month ever recorded. The world's oceans globally were the second warmest on record, and global sea surface temperatures have been pushing record highs for two months now, linked to the rapidly developing El Nino climate pattern in the Pacific Ocean. Now, some scientists also theorize that some of the spike in ocean temperatures could be related to the perverse effect of new regulations cutting smog pollution from ships, which previously reduced solar radiation reaching the ocean. So we're making cleaner ships and that actually makes the oceans warmer because the ships are no longer blocking the sun with their dirty smoke? That's the theory. Wow. In other news, plugging abandoned oil wells in the Gulf of Mexico will cost about $30 billion, according to a new study, and that's about six times what the Biden administration allocated in the infrastructure bill for plugging both onshore and offshore wells. Researchers estimate the Gulf has about 14,000 unplugged abandoned oil and gas wells, which can spill oil and leak methane. Federal law requires companies to pay cleanup costs, and while most of the abandoned wells in federal waters were at some point owned by giant oil companies like Exxon, uh-huh. smaller operators in state waters have frequently gone bankrupt, leaving taxpayers on the hook to pay for the cleanup of those orphaned wells. Imagine that. The Supreme Court has narrowly upheld a California law that bans the sale of pork from operations that breed the animals in severely confined cages. The pork industry had argued that California infringed on regulations in states where the pork producers are based. But in a 5-4 to four ruling, conservative Justice Neil Gorsuch said, quote, while the Constitution addresses many weighty issues, the type of pork chops California merchants may sell is not on that list. Wow. Is Neil Gorsuch okay? Finally, the Biden administration Environmental Protection Agency has proposed new rules to clean up pollution and planet-warming carbon emissions from U.S. coal and natural gas-fired power plants, the nation's second-largest source of emissions. It's a key step in curbing emissions in the rest of the economy from vehicles, buildings, and industry. Basically, the draft rules would require existing and future fossil-fueled power plants to cut their greenhouse gas emissions by 90 percent by 2038 with options to do so, like switching to cleaner sources or capturing their carbon dioxide emissions. Plants that don't meet the standards would have to retire by 2042. Now, critics note that it gives coal plants a full decade to reduce their emissions, and that would miss President Biden's target of 100% clean electricity nationally by 2035. In announcing the new rules late last week, EPA Administrator Michael Regan highlighted the lives that will be saved from cleaning up pollution 
pollution and emissions and acknowledged much more needs to be done to address climate change. We have a once in a generation opportunity for real climate action. So failure is not an option. Inaction not an option. Republican-controlled states are expected to sue to stop the new pollution rules, which must survive the right-wing supermajority on the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes, of course, that is their version of taking action. Yep. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Joyan. Uh, that's a big deal, by the way, that yes. uh, power plant uh, plan. We saw uh, Barack Obama try to do something similar. Republicans challenged it. It was put on hold by the Supreme Court, if I remember. Yep. It was then replaced by a version that didn't do nothing by Donald Trump. Yep. That also was put on hold yep, by the Supreme Court. that was true. That was also put on hold by the Supreme Court. So this is the latest attempt. Hopefully this one will stick. It has not been adopted yet. But if it is adopted and if it does eventually come into force, mm-hmm. it would uh, be the equivalent, the EPA estimates, of taking 137 million cars off the road annually in mm-hmm. emissions reduced and avoided. And it would save uh, $85 billion in savings on public health costs over uh, 10 years. Yeah, maybe, but I think that's going to be counterbalanced by uh, the hot air coming from Fox News alone (laughs) about this uh, change. Yep. And I would not be surprised if it is held up once again by the U.S., the corrupted U.S. Supreme Court, which thinks that uh, they are in charge, which the activist corrupted, packed, stolen U.S. Supreme Court, which thinks... They can legislate from the bench. They've been doing it now for years. We shall see. We shall see indeed. Thank you very much, Desi Doyne. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We have no paywall there. Thanks only to the support of listeners like you who hit one of those donate buttons when you stop by or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, you will find me at the Brad Blog. I hope you do. We will see you there. Until we see you here tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate.